This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast episode 38, Practicing, Living and Teaching Yoga Philosophy. My name is Erica and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Courtney Cyberling. Courtney is a writer, yoga teacher and educator. She dedicates herself to projects that inspire and help people and is passionate about yoga philosophy. Her latest book, Yoga's Yama and Niyamas, 10 Principles for Peace and Purpose, is inspiring readers to apply these yoga philosophy concepts in their practice on the mat and in their life off the mat. So what a better subject for our podcast today. As always, I really appreciate your support and love to read your comments. So if you take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or on your iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter our giveaway. Athleta is continuing to support this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out a $75 shop card. If you want to know more about the giveaway, stay tuned. I'll give a bit more details at the end of the show. On and Off Your Mat is also part now of Patreon. Patreon is a web platform where you can donate to financially support this podcast or you can become a monthly member. Donators get shout out on the episode and as a monthly member, you receive exclusive content, mini shows, guided meditation, guided flows, and so much more. So visit my Patreon page at patreon.com slash on and off your mat and Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And there you can become a member and get access to the August, September and October exclusive content. You can make a one-time donation if you prefer or when you become a member at the $5 tier, you can listen to what you have missed so far. On October 1st, as an exclusive episode, you got a tutorial on Udiyana Banda or Abdominal Lock. You got it in audio, you got a photo and you got a video format. You also got this episode in our video chat format, uncensored, unedited, and you got it before the episode launched on iTunes. So a lot of extra stuff for you this month. And there will also be something else coming at the end of October. So stay tuned. Before we get to our episode with Courtney, I want to welcome our newest Patreon members this week, Jean-François Bélanger and Tracy St. John's. Thank you so much for your support, guys. It means the world to me. It will help me continue to offer this podcast, help me cover production costs, and potentially allow me to create even more episodes. Okay, are you ready? Let's get to our episode with Courtney. Hi, Courtney. Hey, Erica. How are you today? I'm good. How about you? Really great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So, Courtney, for listeners that don't know you, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and your yoga journey? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I don't have a dramatic... Well, maybe I have a dramatic entry point to yoga. Um, I had a slow journey into yoga. Um, I first took a class as just an elective in college. Um, and was doing dabbling in some Ashtanga outside of um, the college class and just really enjoyed the physical practice, um, you know. And then I kind of moved to New York and I was kind of dabbling in some like home videos, Baron Baptiste stuff when it was really cold outside and I didn't want to go to the gym. Um, and then it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles and I was, um, my best friend is a, a big yogi too, and she dragged me to, well, not dragged me, she took me. <laughs> to a power yoga class, um, in Santa Monica and Brian Kess studio. And I started sobbing in Shavasana and I, it kind of, it took me a little while to like get that everything that my teachers were telling me in class were the things that I was struggling with in my own life. And that, you know, the mat is a mirror and 
all the things that I was afraid to do on my mat was me being afraid to do things in my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was taking it really seriously and not finding the play and the ease. And I noticed that was happening in my, in my life. And I just kind of like sobbed and I was like, Oh, I get it. I get, I get what everybody's been talking about. (sighs) I know I wish it upon everybody. You know, I think it's great. Whatever people come to yoga for, you know, whatever benefit they get out of it, if it's just the physical, awesome. Um, but for me, it was that moment. And then when I did my teacher training, I, it took me a while to do my teacher training. Everybody was like, Oh, you should be a yoga teacher. You should be a yoga teacher. And I was like, no, I'm, I can't do that. What like, were you doing before? Um, I was writing um, and I was, I've been working at an all girls school for the last 13 years in some capacity. So at that time I was doing work in communications and marketing. Um, and I always, you know, was dabbling in like taking more yoga classes, but everyone's <laughs> like, you'd be a really good teacher. And, and I think sometimes it takes the people in your life to see that in you. Um, and my best friend finally was like, okay, you're doing a yoga teacher training. I'm paying for it because wow. you're, you're saying that you don't have the money for it and you need to do this. And she saw this in me. Um, I've only recently paid her back 10 years later, but um, I, I really appreciated that. It's so important to have those people in our life that step up. Um, and when I got into the teacher training, I really fell in love with the philosophy Um, I really found it as an entry point for when I went on to teach um, because I felt very overwhelmed when I went on to teach after my training. I had a wonderful training, but I felt very overwhelmed by wanting to, you know, get it all in, get the apex pose in, get all the like philosophy and get all the cliches and the, you know, just everything. And I realized you can't really do that, you know, in in an entire class. Um, And so I really started just picking a theme a philosophy theme and then weaving that into the practice and that kind of helped ground me. Mm-hmm. Slowly but surely build it up. <laughs> yeah. And you're still writing. I'm still writing. I'm working on a novel now. Awesome. So. That's Fun. great. Yeah. Where does your passion for yoga philosophy comes from? Like what drew you to focus on that more than any other aspect of that big yoga umbrella? Yeah. Um, my father growing up was a big self-help guy. Mm. Um, and and I love self-help, but, you know, you have to laugh at it sometimes because it can be a little, you know, go, go, go. Um, and when we were in teacher training, I had an amazing, um, we, it was very much focused on philosophy. I know different teacher trainings have different focuses, um, but mine was, um, I had a teacher, Daniel Stewart, who was so philosophy-based and we had lots of time devoted. And I just really saw the value in these ancient teachings and how they were still relevant because they're so human, you know, they're, Mm -hmm. I I think it can be a little overwhelming to look at the philosophy and to read the text, but at the root of it is, you know, be present, give your mind something to focus on, you know, and all these beautiful teachings. And, um, I, I just really took to, um, that offering and the practice and how subtle it can be in a class setting. It doesn't have to be a big, like, we're going to sit down and do philosophy. Now you can just offer a little nugget. And then, you know, all of a sudden that becomes a physicalized practice. And mm-hmm. then you can just remind them of it at the end. And then, you know, maybe for the people that are like, oh, she's saying. They're like, ready to, to hear that. They're ready. And if they're not, they still get their physical practice. Yeah. In, so. yeah. We're going to talk about 
three different things that you mentioned in that answer. So I'm going to start to break it down a little bit. First, let's start with the last part where you're talking about asana and the practice on the mat. How can knowledge of the philosophy impact that practice on, on the mat, like through asana and through the postures that we do as a student a or question. as a teacher when you're, you know, organizing your mind around what you yeah. want to teach? Well, I trained as an actor originally in college, um, and I always took to the physical being a way into the mental. Um, so when I would develop characters on stage, um, instead of kind of being like, what did they have for breakfast today? And, you know, what what did their mother, how did their mother mess them up or whatever these things were? I um, I would find how they walked or, you know, some something physical about them in a scene. Um, and to me, the physical has always been a way into the mental. And I think the mental can be a way into the physical. So, you know, for example, if I'm, I'm teaching a class on, you know, gratitude, we focus on heart openers or, you know, letting go, focusing on hip openers. Um, or if we're focusing on grounding, really, you know, settling into the breath and feeling the feet under the mat. Um, and I just think it's a really beautiful way to, to build sequencing is to start from an idea. And I, I really do think a lot of these things can manifest physically too. Can you give an example of a philosophy concept that you could start with and sequence from there? Yeah. Um, so for example, in, um, in my book that, um, I wrote about the yamas and niyamas, um, Ishvara Pranahana, which is, you know, opening to wonder or surrendering, um, you could, as a teacher set like a really nice, you know, maybe light a candle or maybe dim the lights a little bit or create an environment, um, that feels a little special. Um, and then focusing, um, you know, that, that practice is all about, you know, opening and surrendering. So you could focus a lot on, on heart opening and forward folding, um, you know, and taking a nice ease to the practice and weaving in this idea of, you know, opening and surrendering through class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great example. Another thing you mentioned when you were talking before is how it's so human and it's still relevant today. So even though it was written thousands of years ago, so why or how is it still relevant today? How come? Well, I mean, I think we're, I mean, I don't, I don't think any of us know what the original intent. I mean, I wasn't alive 2000 years ago. I don't know if you were, but no. most of us weren't. I mean, not in this um, body anyway. <laughs> yeah, not in this body. I know who knows where we were before this. Um But, you know, a lot of things that these concepts are talking about, you know, not holding on to things, you know, taking a peaceful, kind approach to other people, um, studying yourself, making sure you're being the person you want to be in the world, um, you know, settling into like a discipline practice. These are all really helpful tools. <laughs> And I really find, um, you know, I think texts like the sutras or the Bhagavad Gita, Um, not to oversimplify them because I think they have a lot of complexity. Um, but the thing when I read those texts, I keep seeing is you have a lot more control over your mind than you think you do. Mm -hmm. um, and that it's a lot about just perspective. Um, and so I think a lot of these, especially in the yamas and the niyamas, they're just a way to focus. So if you don't give your mind something to focus on in life, in your yoga practice, the mind's going to run off and do all the stuff that the mind does. Um, and it might still do that even if you try to focus it. Um, but I find that um, a lot of these concepts are really about giving your mind, you know, a task to do, uh, something to refocus on. And I see them a lot like lenses. Like if you put on sunglasses, mm -hmm. you know, you can see the world as, you know, this, as a victim, you can see the world as, you know, not a great place to be, or you can see the world with wonder. You can see the word, the world as it is. Um, 
And so I really, when I read these things, I was like, oh yeah, like I struggle with letting go. Oh yeah. I struggle with like, you know, keeping things together with, you know, overextending myself. Um, and I, I assume they meant something a little different 2000 years ago, but, um, I mean, maybe the context was different because life was different, the style of life, but the general idea is still applicable. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. So human. Yeah. (laughs) So human. Another piece that you said was about how it could be brought into class in a very simple way. And it doesn't have to be like this huge Dharma talk in the beginning and this huge satsang necessarily. Um, What are subtle and less subtle ways that teachers can bring yoga philosophy in class? Yeah, that's a great question. You're you're full of good questions here. <laughs> um, so for example, if I was teaching a class on Brahmacharya, which um, in it it does translate a celibacy, but I'm not going to ask anyone to give up sex and we're definitely not going to practice that on our yoga mat. Um, but in, you know, modern day, we think about that as energy, energy modification. You know, I might, you know, just say what the concept is. And then I might say, hey, like, can you watch yourself in practice today? You know, if you need to put a knee down because you were up all night with a baby or, you know, you're going through a hard time and you didn't sleep last night, like, please take care of yourself. Um, and you know, yoga is an energy practice. So just moderating and watching, you know, what you're giving energy to, um, throughout practice. And then I might at the end, you know, ask them to think about this in their day-to-day life and make sure, you know, that they're giving themselves to the right relationships, the right people, um, that they're not, you know, saying yes to things that they don't actually really want to do. Cause I think we're all victims of the yes. Um, so maybe watching and saying no every now and then. Um, so that would be a, I think both like a simple and deep way to bring it into class. Um, and if you don't feel comfortable, you know, I, I'm not saying that every teacher needs to do this because we all as teachers specialize in, in different things. Um, but you might just, you know, explain what the concept is and then ask your students to set an intention based on what Around they heard. Around that concept. Or, yeah. So it doesn't have to be a big eddy thing or it can be super, you know, super yeah. deep and meaningful if it is to you. I think, I think whatever we bring as teachers into class is, you know, whatever we're bringing that's our true selves is our, our students respond to that. So I wouldn't say like bring this stuff into class if it's not your jam. Um, but if you're interested in, in it, try it. And, you know, I, I've, I've noticed that students really do crave and want this stuff more than we think that they do. Um, because I get really self-conscious sometimes if I'm teaching like a community class or a gym class, or um, I've been teaching at these um, apartment buildings and I'm, I get really self-conscious sometimes because I'm like, oh, they're just here for the workout. They, you know, they don't want to hear me talk about philosophy uh, but you don't have to bang them over the head about it. But I find when I offer these things in a room, people really like like that stuff. And I think a lot of us, um, I don't want to generalize, but I, I know that it's true for me and a lot of my friends is there's kind of a lack of um, organized religion or community, not that yoga is a religion, but um, there's something really beautiful about a group of people coming together and um, thinking about something. And even if they're not conversing with each other physically practicing that next to someone feels really good that we're all like checking in with ourselves and working towards a common goal Mm -hmm. yeah I could totally see that um do you have any tips for teachers that are uncomfortable 
and they haven't really started philosophy, but they're actually interested in it. Because what I hear is, you know, start with something you're interested in, you're passionate about, and you know about. Don't start talking about things that you have no idea. Like, (laughs) you know, that's going to sound probably unauthentic. But so that's a good tip. And then do you have other tips for people that are actually generally interested in philosophy, but are feeling a bit like you're saying, like it's awkward or it's uncomfortable or there's something that's stopping them? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important with any part of the practice to really understand it for ourselves first. Um, So what I did before I even, I mean, I didn't even teach for two years after I did my training because I was so overwhelmed. (laughs) Um, But what I would say is if you're interested in the philosophy, you know, read the philosophy and sit with it for a little bit and really think about um, the part that I found with my students was when I started bringing my own life into the practice, not, not in a therapy way. I think, you know, you gotta, you gotta process your stuff before you bring it into a room, you know, but the first time that I, you know, brought something into a room and I said, you know, I struggle with this too, or, you know, I, I have a a relationship I need to let go of that I'm not letting go of, you know, so your students see you as a human and not Mm -hmm. as some like master of this philosophy stuff. Um, but I would really recommend to, like you said, find something that's interesting to you. So for me, it's the yamas and the yamas. For someone else, it might be a different form of the philosophy. And maybe just when you're driving in your car or, you know, sitting, think about it and think about, you know, well, what benefit does that have to my own life? And then the more you can come at it from that angle, I find that people really, you know, relate to it a little bit better than if you're coming and reading a sutra and you don't even know what that means for yourself. You know, I don't think your students are probably going to understand what that means if you don't have a personal reflection of it. So to me, I think a lot of this stuff is the personal reflection Mm -hmm. of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And when you're speaking from a place of something that feels authentic to you, I think it translates to your students. So once you're able to read the text and have a personal reflection on it and then draw examples from your own life, that really makes it more accessible to students. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Awesome. We'll get back to the episode after this short break. Support for this podcast comes from Juice Beauty, whose founder, Karen Benke, believes that women shouldn't have to choose between their beauty and their health. Juice Beauty is radically transforming the chemistry of beauty with luxurious, high-performance skincare and vibrant plant pigment makeup formulated with antioxidant-rich certified organic ingredients. Every organic drop feeds your skin. Find your clean skincare or makeup solution at juicebeauty.com slash Erica and Erica with a K and use the coupon code YOURMAT to receive 20% off your order. I love their products and I went to visit their farm here in California where they grow some of the ingredients they put in their products and it was truly amazing. I'm sure you'll enjoy their products as well. Okay, back to the episode. So you just mentioned that you were really into the yamas and niyamas. That was the theme of your book. Mm-hmm. So why niyamas, yamas? Like, let's talk about this a little bit. Like, what in that really draws you in? What what's creating passion for you in there? Well, I think for me, um, when I was doing my teacher training, and I I was seeing how applicable these concepts were, I started thinking about really like what I was saying before, really trying to apply them. And the next moment, um, I was having a really hard time, um, getting over, a a romantic relationship, um, that had ended very abruptly. Mm. Um, and I was just still holding it. You know, I felt, I felt my ex-boyfriend in my hip, like literally in my hip. 
And I, and I knew I was better to not have him in my life anymore. You know, I was already opening myself to seeing that there were other possibilities that would be better for me. Um, but I was just having such a hard time about it. And I remember we were talking um, in our training about um, a, peri- a perigraha, about letting go. And I, I really had a moment where I was like, you are living in the past and you are holding on to the future and trying to control what you want it to be. Um, and it, it almost just felt like a friend, like coming with a hug that was like, hey, try this, like, or like a shirt, try this on. How does this work? And it sounds really cheesy and it doesn't sound like some, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying like in a moment of like trauma that you should just like take a pause and be like, Oh, let me filter my like gratitude or something like, like, like that, because you know, it's, it's a practice. Um, but in reflection, just really, um, anytime I, from that point when I had a moment where I was like, this is really hard, I don't know what to do. You know, I, I, I want to be smart about this. I want to be a good person in the world. I want to respond in a way that feels true and good. Um, and so I just started using the concepts as, as a way to help me um, see things in a different way. Cause I think we're the problem with um, our minds is that a lot of times we keep repeating the same dialogue and then whatever that story is that we keep telling ourselves becomes the truth when it actually might not be true. And I see this so much in in relationships that are damaged, where you've got two people that are having two different stories about going on and neither one of them is listening. <laughs> and I've been in those situations. We, I think we've all been in those situations. Um, but the more times we can like notice that dialogue is going on and restructure it, at least in our part, um, I've found, you know, that even in really difficult situations with people that have been really difficult. I've been able to not every time, but a lot of the times rise above that old dialogue and create a new one and how beneficial that is to, you know, go through more of life with an open heart and more people that you can relate to. Um, it's a really beautiful practice. Mm. So do you think that we're drawn to concepts that we need, like we need to apply? (laughs) Heck yeah, girl. (laughs) Heck yeah. You know, um, yeah, a hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite Yama Niyama or like one that you're, you're like, this is going to be my life's work? <laughs> I mean, it, it shifts. Yeah. For a long time, it was the Perigaha. Um, lately, it's, it's surprisingly been the, the, the energy modification, the Brahmancharya. I mean, I'm sick. I've been like, I'm in a new phase of life where I'm super, I'm doing work I love. I'm finding time for my creativity. Uh, There's a lot of great concerts right now and I'm trying to do everything. Um, And I'm not taking care of myself, um, you know, and I'm also now teaching yoga full time. um, And that's a pretty new thing. Um, And I'm sure this happens to a lot of teachers, but I'm noticing that my practice is starting to dwindle a little bit with, you know, if I'm teaching four or five times a day, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not you know, doing my own practice. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just, it's just a reminder and I know I'll get back and, um, but that, that's the one that's popping up a lot, you know, and it's physicalizing in the sickness and, but they shift. I mean, for a while it was the truth telling the satya, um, which can be a really tricky one for a lot of us, you know, really. And I think that really starts with telling the truth to yourself, which Mm -hmm. 
you know, when you really admit how you're feeling, you know, a lot of times you don't want to feel that way. You don't want to like that person. You don't want to, you know, whatever it is. Um, and it's so not about was- saying the truth, like not lying, right? Like for people that are listening, it's more subtle. It's more nuanced than that. Yeah. And I really, um, I took a little liberties in the way that I talk about the Amas in the book, because in, usually, um, I'm sure you know this, they're, they're labeled as non doing something. So like not stealing, not grasping, um, not lying, but I really shifted them because I don't know about you, but I don't like people telling me I can't do things. Um, so I, I shifted them into positive action. So truth, peace, you know, gratitude, um, mm-hmm. letting go so that they were more positive actions. Um, cause that seems to work better for me. Mm-hmm. So if students are kind of tickled by the idea, they want to, they're curious, they want to start looking into philosophy because either their teachers are not bringing it and they're like, okay, I'm going to dive in into it myself. What's a good entry level text you would recommend or um, a version, a translation, a commentary or a book um, mm-hmm. that people can start with if they want to just dip their toe? I'm grabbing my, I recently... I don't know if you can see this. Yeah. I love, this was the cheapest translation on Amazon. Um, but this translation of the Bhagavad Gita, I find it so friendly. Can you say um, the author for people not watching the video? I'm going to not pronounce it right. Eknath Iswaran. Okay. Maybe. Um, it's a beautiful blue and gold <laughs> I'll, cover. I'll and put a link in the show notes. Sure. Um, I find that text to be gorgeous and really um, friendly, approachable, Um and there's a lot of commentary in there that makes it really um, applicable. Um, I really love Donna Fari um, in the way that she talks about, um, I forget what her book is called. It's like a white book with um, a picture of her on the cover. Um, and that was my entry point to the Yamas and Niyamas, the way that she was talking about them. Um, she really has just a nice ease in talking about them. Um, and actually the reason why I wrote the book about the yamas and the niyamas that I wrote is because I didn't, I wasn't seeing, I, I saw a few standalone books, but I didn't see a lot in the way of really applying them to the physical practice and really applying them to life. I saw a lot of descriptions about what they meant. Um, and I think the interesting thing about my book that I've gotten a lot of response about are the person, I have personal essays in there about um, their very personable and it was really challenging for me to write a lot of what I wrote. Um, but kind of like what I was saying before, the more, um, times you can relate it back to your own life. Um, and, and my book actually lays out what it is and offers, it has physical practices in there that Mm, you could take, take, and then has a consideration of something you could send at the end, say at the end of class. Um, but I'm always, I'm, I'm like really into Osho right now. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of his texts. Um, not that I'm going to go join a cult, um, but, but I'm really, um, I've been reading his everyday Osho. It's like a um, little meditations every day. I've been reading one every day and some of them I really love. Some of them are, you know, they don't stick, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I love, I'm always like finding the next thing. So, <laughs> so. You just mentioned, uh, what's the name of your book? You've been talking about your book, but if people are <laughs> wanting to find it, what's the name of the book? I wanted to call it something really clever, but I ended up with yogas, yamas, and niyamas. Pretty and simple. And then there's a, a tagline that's 10 principles for peace and purpose. So Great. But, so people yeah. can find out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you also just mentioned how you wanted to introduce practices and we talked about on the mat, but can we talk a little bit about how we can take those concepts into our life off the mat? Maybe you have examples of how can people integrate some of the yamas or niyamas or any philosophical concept? Yeah, um, I think the the simplest one for me, I mean, I, I'm sure there's different simple ones for everyone, but the one that I find to be the most simple for people is the practice of saucha. Um, and for those that don't know, the, the yamas are kind of how we interact with the external world and the niyamas are how we interact with the with the, our internal life. Um, I actually would, um, we tend to see them yamas, niyamas. I, I would kind of like to see them niyamas, yamas, mm -hmm. because I think everything starts with ourselves. Yeah, I agree. Um, but saucha, which is the first of the niyamas, um, it's sometimes translated as cleanliness, order, purity. Um, that one is, you can like literally just like clean a closet or clean a drawer or clean your desk mm -hmm. or clean your car um, <laughs> or clean your contact list. So go through your phone and like check out like, you know, because sometimes um, the essay in that book that I write about is about how I um, kept engaging with this friendship that was just taking so much from me. Um, and I ended up having to take a step back from it. And it was really hard for me, but my life, you know, it opened up like more time for other good friendships just to kind of sneak in there. Um, so that's a really good one um, to start with. Um, I also really love um, the, the Swadhyaya, so the, the practice of self-study. So this one, especially in our Western culture, that's like do, 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 more, 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 more. Mm -hmm. um, this is the one that asks us to take a step back and kind of look at how we're doing things. And I actually think it's a time saver because when we're really clear on ourselves and you know what how we feel about things what we want to be doing with things then we can align ourselves with meaningful work meaningful relationships um so that one could you know it could translate as you know a meditation practice it could translate as you know not saying yes to every social thing and taking you know taking a bath at night and just sitting with your day and maybe replaying you know conversations you had that day and did the Did you respond how you wanted to respond? Did you, were you telling the truth? You know, that, that's a great practice. Um, but any of them are um, gratitude. I mean, we all love gratitude, right? That's like a shift perspective changer right away. Mm -hmm. So anytime I'm, I shouldn't say anytime, most of the time when I'm having a, a poo poo moment or a poor you moment or a why can't it be like this moment, I try really hard to snap myself out of that and be like, all right, what do you have? You know, what is this here to teach you? Um, but I find um, for a while I had all these things on flashcards and I would, you know, if I was going through something, I'd like go through my flashcards and I'd be like, oh, I could, um, I could remember to approach it like this or I could, because you can literally like apply any of them to anything and, you know, that refocusing of the mind thing. Um, The example that you just gave about that, you know, having a bad day or like a pity moment is really kind of the definition of suffering in, in a lot of texts, you know, wanting something that is not what is in this moment. So do you think that having a spiritual system like the yamas and niyamas or yoga philosophy in general can help us cope with daily life challenges, whether they're small or even really big? For me, and 100%. How so? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean... You know, I just feel really grateful that I have this practice that, you know, I have something to lean back on or go to when I'm in one of those moments. And 
you know, for, I'm not saying it has to be yoga, you know, I think maybe for some people it could be going for a run or, you know, sitting therapy. Yeah. Whatever it is. Um, but for me really like having, you know, something to go to when you're in one of those moments is just, I mean, the moment that we just let our minds run away with themselves, you know, they, they really run away. Um, and the, <laughs> they the go more wild. Time, they go so wild. They're like girls gone wild in Cancun. I mean, my goodness. So the more times we can call them back, have them put their shirts back on, you know, and, <laughs> and tell them to like, you know, maybe sit and meditate for a few minutes. Um, yes, but it's just been, it's been a game changer for me and my relationships have improved. You know, I, I am a person that feels deeply whenever mm-hmm. I'm feeling anything, Um, and for me, it's been a great practice in emotion management so that, you know, if I'm sad to not, you know, let myself get into that really dark place, um, that I have something to kind of pull me up. That's not, you know, I think our friends are great and our, you know, if we are lucky to have good relationships with our parents, you know, like, you know, I don't want to have to call my mom every time I'm having a bad moment and be like, help me, you know, or like go to my best friend and be like, help me. I mean, of course, like if you need help or if you need to talk through something. Um, but to me, they're kind of like going to therapy that, you know, their first check in with, all right, like, how can, what can I do before I like start, you know, energy sucking spiraling down? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to add before we finish? If there's one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave this podcast with, what would it be? Well, for me, I think, um, I guess this is specifically to either new teachers or to teachers that feel a little, um, maybe you've been teaching a while and you're feeling a little dull or a little stale. Um, I know you just did a training. That's a great way to um, get yourself you know, back in the game. Um, but especially for new teachers, um, I would encourage a new teacher to really look at what is interesting to you and, you know, what, what is like firing you up about the yoga stuff. And it might be the physical practice. Great. It might be a certain part of the physical practice or a certain kind of yoga pose. Um, but for me, like the philosophy was a way into teaching really authentically. And, you know, I, I think a lot of new teachers are just hungry and anxious and feeling all the things and they don't know what to do with that. Um, so I would, you know, maybe apply a little self-study and, and figure out what, or maybe even looking back on your training and being like, what was really interesting in that training for me? Um, and maybe starting there and, you know, really starting small and like, you know, spending several classes, really finding that, um, because, you know, I think there's so many beautiful teachers in the world and the more specialized and interested we are in our own work, I think that that really translates to our students. Mm-hmm. How about for students? What, what do you mean? What? What, um, what's something you'd like them to remember about philosophy? Mm. Mm. That's a great question. Um, I think that it's here to help, that, you know, it doesn't have to be so scary and overwhelming. Um, that there's all kinds of nuggets of wisdom in all these old texts. And if the old texts work for you and you're super into that, great. You know, maybe you find a more contemporary. I know there's lots of contemporary versions of the sutras um, that are really helpful. Um, but I think we all, especially in this crazy world, I I feel like the world's crazier than it was. I don't know if that's just because I'm older or I'm more seasoned, but I feel like we're in a really crazy time right now. And I feel like, People need this stuff more than ever. 
Um, and I would encourage you to listen to what your teachers are saying and maybe think like, is she saying something I can take off my mat and maybe starting even there, like really like, you know, I think the more times we can get our students to really realize that, um, the stuff can really help you in your day-to-day stuff. So even feeling better in your body, yes, like being able to pick up something on the floor when you're older, yes. But the more times we can give our students offerings that help them deal with that crazy mind, that girls gone wild mind, let's like bring it back. Awesome. I'll put all your info in the show notes, but in the meantime, what's the best place for people to find you if they want to say hello, if they'd like to study or get your book? Sure. Um, my name, Courtney Cyberling, um, it's C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y and Cyberling is S-E-I-B as in boy, E-R-L-I-N-G.com. Um, I also have a, a YouTube page searching my same name with, um, 10 practices that are free. Um, so you can actually see the yamas and niyamas in the physical practice. Great. So that's a way if you just want to go on YouTube and they're all like 30, 45 minutes. Wow. Um, and then I'm on Instagram, but I don't really use it as like a, it's more of like a me and my life thing, but that can be fun too. So also my name. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for your time today. It was lovely chatting with you. Thank you, Erica. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. We have other great guests coming up, so make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any. Now, if you want to make my day, help other people find this podcast, or, and, get your chance to win a $75 shop card from Athleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes on the podcast app of your iPhone, scroll down on the show's page, and click the link, write a review. As you leave your review, you automatically enter our giveaway. You don't need to do anything else. And I announce the winner on the next episode after a random draw. If you're newer to reviews and you want even more detailed instruction, check out the show notes. You'll find there also information about our guest of today, Courtney Cyberling. And you can visit my website for those two things as well, ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast. Our latest episode was also supported by Athleta, but for the first time, there was no new reviews. So what does that tell you? Is that if you leave a review, you have a really good chance to win. So I'm sure for the next episode, you will be on it. One more thing, guys, don't forget to visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat if you'd like to donate to support me or become a monthly member and get your hands on the abdominal lock tutorial on the video chat version of this episode and even more exclusive content. Now, before you go, I want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba working in the background, creating the music, editing and mastering this podcast. Once again, guys, thank you for joining us. Until next time.